right. Good morning, church. Morning. You look good. Hope you're feeling good. Glad to be in the house of God today. Uh, we were singing that song, you know, Who Are You, Great Mountain? And um, we were singing that over and over right now as my wife was leading us. And um, it reminded me of why that song exists. You know, Jesus one day was talking to his disciples and he says, hey, if you have faith like a mustard seed, you can tell a mountain to move out of your way. And if you don't know already, this morning you're in a faith atmosphere. Um, you're in a place that acknowledges reality, and, and we definitely have to embrace the pain and suffering we go through. But there is such a thing as having faith while you're in the midst of it. And I just feel like this is a word for somebody. You've been trying to climb your mountains instead of having the faith to speak to them. Your mountain is your problem. It's the relationship that just keeps cycling through the same things. It's the addiction you back jumping forth from. It's the, the numbness and maybe depression you jump into and you don't know why. That's your mountain. That's that thing that when it's right in front of you, it's a lot bigger than it thought you thought it would be. Like, I, I remember I'm from an area that has mountains surrounding the whole city we lived in. And so from a distance, the mountains didn't look that big. But once you got up close and personal with them, you realize these things are bigger than I thought. And I feel like that's what sin does. It, it, it makes us think we got a grasp on our behavior, a grasp on what's going wrong in our life. But once you're right in front of it, it's a lot bigger than you think. So I feel like there's people here today, you're trying hard to climb the mountain instead of by faith saying, here's who my God is. Here's what he's going to do. And so I want to pray for you. I want to pray for your mountains today. We're going to get in the word in just a second. If you're new to our church, we're so glad you're here today. I hope you know you're in a real place. Um, I don't want to be a cool church. I don't want us to be, you know, a flashy church. We want to be a real church. People don't need fluff. Uh, but I want to pray for your mountains today, and we'll get right into the word afterwards. And so, Father, I thank you for whatever situation uh, we all walked in with today, whether it's our kids, whether it's our business, whether it's our future retirement plan, whether it's our disease in our body, whether it's whatever's going on in our life, we want to speak to it today and by faith say that you're not done with us yet. As Randy just sang, if you haven't won, you're not done. And so I thank you for that faith today. In Jesus' name. Amen. Turn with me, if you can, in your Bibles to 2 Timothy chapter 2. 2 Timothy chapter 2 is where we'll be looking at this morning. And if you're new to gospel, we love the Word of God. It's a good place to say amen right there. We love the Bible. It's the thing that keeps us, like, keeps us focused. You know, I've been in churches where it's like there was a lot of great ideas, but none of them were built on the Scriptures. I've been in spaces where Christians had a lot of great things to say, but none of them sounded like what God's already said. And so as a church, you should know the main authority here is the word, and we together try to figure it out each week and find out how it applies to us. And so 2 Timothy chapter 2, we're going to start in verse 14. We are in a collection of messages on the power of our attention. We're, we're in a message series called Face Hook. We're talking about how things in life want to hook your attention away from God and onto things that aren't so real. And so we pick it up in first, uh, 2 Timothy chapter 2, starting in verse 14. If you're ready, say, I'm ready. If you need a minute, say, minute. Listen, I know I get excited to preach every message, but I'm excited to preach this one today. First and Second Timothy is written by Paul, and he's writing to a guy named Timothy, who is a young pastor in a town that has recently started a church. And he is encouraging him, as you get going, don't forget about this. Don't get lost on this. You know, I, I spend a lot of time in First and Second Timothy just for myself, just to be encouraged. Um, and I think today you're going to hear something that may help you in your endeavors in life this morning. Second, Tim, uh, Second Timothy chapter 2, verse 14, 
Here reads the word of the Lord. It says, remind them of these things and charge them before God not to quarrel about words, which does no good, but only ruins the hearers. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. Watch this. But avoid irreverent babble, for it will lead people into more and more ungodliness, and their talk will spread like gangrene. Among them are Hymenius and Philetus, who have swerved from the truth. These must have been two disciples that Paul worked with. They must have been church people with him at one point. He names them, and he says they swerved from the truth. They said that the resurrection has already happened. They're upsetting the faith of some, but God's firm foundation stands, bearing this seal that the Lord knows those who are his. And let everyone who names the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. I want to drive your attention in the text up to verse 16 this morning as we get into the word of God. Uh, Paul says, avoid irreverent babble, for it'll lead more and more to ungodliness. I want to title this message this morning in our social media series, Caught Up in the Comments. Caught Up in the Comments. would like to tell you today that not everything that's said to you, you have to respond to. And sometimes we will miss out on what God is saying because we're so worried about what people are saying. Excited to preach this morning. Let's pray. Father, help us today. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Turn to somebody next to you and say, don't get caught up. And if they didn't smile, turn to somebody else and say, don't get caught up. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, I uh, started preaching about 11 years ago now, uh, getting up in front of a group of people with the Bible and trying to articulate God's truth before them. And as I first became a preacher, I did a lot of study, a lot of reading, still do, obviously, but was first really interested in how to preach and spent a lot of time reading men and women of the faith that taught on how to communicate the Bible to people. And there's this one great preacher known as Martin Lloyd-Jones from Great Britain back in the 19th century, and he says this, every preacher, every Christian that talks about the Bible has two responsibilities. They have one to uphold the truth of the Bible and not teach it incorrectly and not sway from the tough passages. But two, they have a responsibility to the people listening, that the message actually makes sense, that it's actually applicable, that it's not just a history book, but it becomes a playbook for what they can do in their actual lives. As I started doing it more and more, I always got drawn back to this verse in 2 Timothy, particularly the one in verse 15. 2 Timothy 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15, Paul writes this to Timothy. He says, do your best to present yourself as one approved. Everyone say approved. As approved. Present yourself to God as one approved. A worker who has no need to be ashamed, watch this, rightly handling the word of truth. And so if we believe in Jesus as our Lord and Savior, we confess the gospel is true, we have the Bible that helps us communicate that to others. And as we believed the message, God now trusts us to share the message. But you must know this, when you're sharing the Bible, verse 15, again, if you don't mind, Paul says that we have to handle it properly. It says that when you're talking about the scriptures, you're not just using words, but you're handling truth. Let me show you what that word in the Greek is. It's orthotomeo is where we get the word handle. And orthotomeo basically means this, to cut straight, to proceed straight, 
or to hold a straight course. So what Paul is saying is when you talk about the Bible, you must stay straight on the course that it is. As the world is zigging and zagging and not sure what's truth and your truth, my truth, who's got a truth, you want a truth, who's in the booth? It all comes down to, are we still straight on what God says is truth? When we teach the Bible, when we tell people about Jesus, we can't just say the stuff to get their approval. Paul says you ought to be someone who's approved to God. Have you noticed this? When your approval comes from people, you'll say whatever they want to hear so they keep approving of you. That if you're living this life to get people to like you, you will easily sway back and forth just to make sure that you're pleasing everybody. But as Christians, we're not called to get people's approval. We've already been given the approval of God. And when you live with his approval, you don't need affirmation from people. When you know who you are in Jesus, you know what he's done for you, you know that what he said about you, you don't go searching and seeking for all these other things. As a church, we've been realizing that technology, especially in today's culture, is a big blessing, but it can also be a big distraction. Like, think about it. We're able to be connected to people from around the world. We can see what's going on in their life in just one moment. But at the same time, as things come across our Facebook feed and our Twitter feeds and our Instagram feeds, as they come across, sometimes we're tempted to make comments about what we see. And I just want to remind you this morning, not everything requires a comment. Someone say amen to that. Not everything I see, I need to respond to. Not everything that is posted, I have to have an opinion about. Some things I have to stay straight and narrow on. Other things are just trying to distract me from what I'm focused on. Have you noticed that, that when you're on uh, any type of social media app, not even in social media, if you're here today and you read articles online, usually now after every article, there's what's known as the comment section. And as you read something, you can actually make a comment about what you just read. And I was reading a statistic this week. It was saying that people who read an article and then read negative comments about the article can actually have their mind changed. They can read the article, think one thing, and then see some comments about it and go, hmm, never mind. That's how powerful some of these words are in our culture today. Unfortunately, many Christians see these comments from other people and we're shocked that they're commenting crazy. Have you ever heard, uh, don't read the comments? Like anyone ever said that to you before? Don't read the comments. Don't read them. Well, guess what? They're there. And you can't help it sometimes, but read them. I want to tell you why you see things on social media that doesn't match what God says. Well, Paul told us in 2 Timothy, he says, they will reject truth and they will chase after myths. In other words, something will be presented and they will say no to that and they will chase after something that might not be true. This is how we get wrapped up in these black holes of conspiracies or we get wrapped up in maybe something's being kept from us. Maybe we don't know what's really going on. I want to remind you of the first conspiracy theory in the world, uh, the serpent told Eve, God isn't telling you that. He knows if you eat of it, you'll be like him. And all of a sudden, she was chasing after a myth instead of staying on to what she knew as truth. Continues, verse 5, he says, but you should keep a clear mind in every situation. So every comment thread you're in, every time you're using technology, anytime you're on the phone with somebody, the words of the author are, keep a clear head in every situation. Who would be so bold to say, that's easier said than done? I want my head to be clear, but a lot of times when I see 10 different opinions about one topic, it's hard for me to come to grips with what I think. 
I'm so influenced by everyone around me that sometimes I, I, I haphazardly use social media, you know? Before, you feel like I'm just beating you up. I want to confess something. On Wednesday, I looked at my phone, and my phone keeps track of how many hours a day I'm on it. And it, it tells me the apps I use for certain amounts of time. My, my screen time the other day was seven hours on my phone. Now, three hours was just texting people, because that's kind of what I do during the week. It's just all day long, trying to touch people, get in touch with people, love on them, encourage them, help answer questions. But it was like an hour on YouTube, an hour on TikTok, an hour on Instagram. And without even knowing it, we're so dependent on this information we have that sometimes we forget about the life that's actually in front of us. Can I encourage you this morning? I'm not the only one. I know you too, at times, do things without understanding why you're doing them. This is why some people can't talk about politics, because as soon as they start talking about it, they lose their minds. They don't know how to keep a clear head in every situation. And we think just because we disagree, that means we're enemies. How are we going to reach our world for Jesus if the church can't even come to grips with disagreeing on some things? Here's what Paul said in Romans 7. If he had a phone, he too would be struggling with screen time, I believe, because we all affirm this verse here. I do not understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want to do, but I do the very thing I hate. Have you ever felt that? Why did I do this? Why am I doing this? You know, I was arguing with Randy maybe a month ago, and we were getting into it about some things. And, and as the words were coming out of my mouth, I was like, oh, I should not be saying this right now. This, this is not going to be good. It's like, why am I making this point? Why am I bringing this up? Why am I giving a sarcastic response? It's like, I don't understand. Paul would say it's because sin dwells in us, and our nature is going to be to focus on ourselves. Our nature is going to be when we see a picture with 10 people, we instantly want to find ourselves and evaluate how we look because we only sometimes want to care about ourselves. Today, I want to challenge you to go a little bit deeper in your use of social media, and not because, you know, there's a right and wrong way to use social. I just think as a Christian, there's a standard that we should live by. We can't get caught up in what people say that we forget about who we are. Especially as a new church in a small town, it was very quick that comments were made about us and people were saying things and different things. And I just want to encourage you, there's plenty of times I wanted to respond with something. But instead, I knew if I respond, that's only going to give them more fuel and more ammunition. Sometimes the best thing you can do when someone makes a comment about you is not respond and let God prove to them who you actually are. Um, I want to give you three questions today about social media and th three things I was prompted this week as I prepped. The first thing I was thinking is, why do we post on social? Like, what is the whole point of getting on there and sharing something on social media? Now, there's great things about social media. Some people share their successes. Some people share some of their emotions. Some people share their relationships and the good things going on. But there's definitely times where there's stuff out there that I don't think we should be putting out there. Can I just keep it real this morning? You know, you don't need six points about it. Someone just needs to say it. Not everything needs to be put out there, okay? And, and, and this is helpful when you consider the human condition. Uh, about 35% of every word you use in your life will be about yourself. It's the human condition that the speech we use, 35% of what you say, has to do with you. When you get on social media, that number jumps to 80%. This is just a statistic. Most, most studies will say different things. This is what I was reading. Someone was saying in the Wall Street Journal that 80% of social media engagement comes from a place of, I want to talk about me or I want to get this out there. And here's the danger with social media. Online, we have time to construct and refine what we're putting out there. 
So we type it. We don't know if we like it. We change it. We filter it. We put a little thing over it. We're like, I like it. Do I not like it? And we have time to actually put something out there versus in real life when we're talking to someone face-to-face, it's just happening. Okay, this is called self-presentation. And self-presentation is a real thing in psychological studies right now about how the human wants to present themselves to others, even if they might not actually be that way. Self-presentation is positioning yourself the way you want to be seen by others. And so you might be feeling terrible about your life, but the life you put out there looks nothing like who you actually are. You know, I I remember I had this one friend uh, in high school when MySpace kicked off. Y'all, anybody remember MySpace? Come on now. Yeah. We're not that old, y'all. Come on. Okay? All the 30s and 40-year-olds are like, yes, please. And, and, and I remember I had this one friend on MySpace, you know, they went on vacation one year, they went to like Florida and they posted about it. And then like three months later, they were like, oh, chilling at the beach again. And they were posting an old picture from three months earlier to make it seem as if they were like still on the beach. Three, like, and I'm like, bro, you're in my English class. Like I saw you right here, you know? What is that? That's us presenting ourselves a certain way to make sure we know who we are. A psychological study I read in the Washington Post, it said that when they took 100 people that had low self-esteem, 100 people had low self-esteem, and they told them, you have low self-esteem, I want you to look at your own profile page. And as they looked at their own profile page, their self-esteem grew. Why is that? They were looking at what they've presented, they were looking at the important moments they put out there, and all of a sudden they felt better about themselves. It's because we're presenting ourselves this way. Marketers love this too. They, they, they like to show you the stuff that you think you need so you can present yourself a certain way. You know, they, they show you the designer stuff you like. They show you the football stuff you like. They show you everything you think will contribute to who you present. And sometimes we think if we have all this stuff, we'll feel better about what we're showing people. I want to encourage you. That's backwards. What you show people is not going to make you feel better about yourself. Knowing who you are will change what you show people. And so instead of trying to backtrack and find out how to present yourself better, we first have to discover ourselves and then ask God to help us present the right way to the world. Are you following me this morning? I think it's important we know that, why we post on social. Having stuff doesn't save us. Having a good brand doesn't save us. Jesus famously said this in Matthew 16. One day he told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Well, wait a second, Billy. I thought the Bible was like, you know, self-love. You know, the Bible teaches self-love. You got to love you. No, the Bible teaches you deny you. You deny your urges. You deny the first thing you're thinking because oftentimes it comes from what Paul said. Why do I do the things I hate? It's coming from a place that's not really you. Okay, he says, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me for whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world? In other words, he has all this stuff. What good is it if he has all this stuff, but he forfeits his soul? It's a foundational principle verse for us as Christians. When you get to the end of yourself, that's when you find the beginning of God. Most people can't believe in a supernatural divine being because they can't get past them well, God couldn't exist like that. And, and, and we're in the way of truly letting God reveal himself. That's why one of the reasons I was thinking about. Secondly, why do we share others' content on social? Like sometimes I get on social media 
So not only why do we post, but why do we share? Sometimes I get on social media, I don't even post something. I just share everything I see because it's so good. You ever seen this? Make me, don't make me feel crazy here. Like, you know when you see something and there's a button that says like, there's a button that says comment, and then that third one, sometimes it says share. And what this is, is kind of like the principle of reciprocity. Like, like sometimes we feel the need to share other people's stuff because they shared ours. Or sometimes we feel the need to like other people's content because they liked ours. And what we do is we're informing people of the things we care about, and we feel like they should know as well. Not a good thing, not a bad thing. It's just kind of what it is. Lastly, what I want to focus mainly on today is why do we comment on social? And again, if you're not on social media, you see at the bottom of an online article, there's usually a comment section. There's somewhere that you can say something. And uh, I just want to remind you, in today's culture, words aren't even that important, are they? What's the famous saying? Actions speak louder than words. So your comment can't really get me all caught up because I don't even know if that's really you. Some people, they love to comment harshly because they would never say that face-to-face. And they get to kind of hide behind something and then make the comments they like to make. Or they don't think anyone's actually going to follow up with them when they make a comment. That's why, like, when people bash our church or, like, you know, something goes on social media, these comments sometimes will come so quick. And even me, as the lead pastor of this church, sometimes I type stuff out, and I'm like, Jesus, do not let me hit send. (laughs) You know, it's over. Uh, Recently, this happened, like, last month. My wife and I were doing a podcast, and, like, our church has a YouTube channel where all these sermons are. But we also have a podcast, and so we were talking about uh, men and women, and she was reading that verse where it says women should submit to their husbands, and then I was talking about how husbands need to lie down their lives for their wives, like it's sacrifice. And all the comments, the more views it got, the more crazy the comments got. And I think like four million people saw it, and the, the comments just got crazier and crazier and crazier. And somebody said something about the people in our church, and they were like, da, 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 and I said, hold on a second, Okay. <laughs> You could talk about the stuff we put out there, but when you start trying to say you know the people in our church and everyone is this, like, so what I do is I don't comment, I follow up with a message. And I go, hey, I'm Billy, I'm the pastor of this church. You were saying something about we're bigots or something, or you were saying something about, you know, uh, we're homophobic or something. I just want to follow up, like, what do you mean by that? Because a lot of times they're commenting from pain, they don't actually want to have a conversation. And hear me today, a comment does not mean somebody wants to have a meaningful conversation. Most of the people that comment, they just want to get it off their chest and not listen to anybody else's response. But as Christians, Paul said we need to have a clear mind. We have to make comments knowing, okay, I could sit down and talk about this if it was that serious. Are you following me? That's that's a big reason why we comment. Who cares, though? Actions speak louder. So if you're saying it, be willing to do it. The Apostle Paul is writing again to Paul. I'm sorry, to Timothy, and he's telling him, as this church grows, Timothy, and as the gospel spreads forth, you're going to have plenty of people talking. And I just got to encourage you, if people are talking about you, that means you're doing something. No one talks about people that don't do anything, you know? And never be moved because of your faith if someone talks about it. Jesus counts that as worthy. He sees that as a beautiful thing when people talk about our faith. My, uh, I guess my challenge to you today is when people talk about your faith, how do you respond? Do you get upset? Do you get mad? You ever had that one atheist come and talk to you and, and they're like, you know, prove to me God's real. And you're like, because the Bible says so. And they're like, yeah, 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 I don't believe the Bible. So why is God real? And you're like, just because he's real. 
You know, and, and we get so worked up sometimes. Paul writes to encourage Timothy, particularly in verse 16, he says, avoid irreverent babble, for it will lead into more and more ungodliness. Irreverent babble is when people are talking in such a way that they have no real respect for what you believe anyways. So you're trying to get into a debate about God's existence with somebody that can't even respect your position. Paul says, avoid that. Avoid the haters, avoid the ones just talking. Sometimes you'll get distracted and you'll realize they're slowing me down. Verse 17 continues and he says, their talk will spread like gangrene. That's a disease your tissue gets dead because of a lack of blood flow. And so when people are commenting on social media, it might seem like meaningful conversation, but sometimes it stops the flow of your normal life and you forget like who you're supposed to be. And so as Christians, we cannot get caught up in all these comments online. You know, we can't be moved by people's thoughts about our faith. Jesus says, when people talk about you for my sake, that is a beautiful thing. And so I want to encourage you, keep going. Don't give up. You're in good company today if you've been falsely accused. You're in good company today if people have been trying to point something out about you that's not true. Some thoughts to consider today. If you're taking notes, I want you to write down some of these. I would say these are things just I want to highlight about comments, and particularly the comment section. Last week, we talked about friend requests, and uh, one of the main points was everyone you call friend is not going to act like a friend. And so we can't get mad when our friends, quote unquote, act a certain way. We have to really evaluate who are we calling friend. And the week before, Randy talked about your feed and what comes into your Facebook feed, your Instagram feed. Today, I want to talk to you about comments and what they are and why you shouldn't get caught up in them. Okay, so first of all, number one, comments will try to demand my response. The first thing that will happen in your mind is when you see someone make a big deal about something, you'll feel the need to reply and respond. But not everything you see has to be responded to. Here's a story from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 4. The Bible says Jesus is with his disciples. They're in a boat, and a storm comes. Verse 37 and a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat so that the boat was already filling. But he was in the stern. Jesus was asleep on the cushion, <laughs> and they woke him. Okay, stop right there. Jesus is so confident in who he is. He's so sure of the authority he has from his father that he's able to sleep in what other people stress about. He's able to relax and not lose sight of who he is while everyone else around him is losing their minds. Okay, this is what Paul says when he says, keep a clear head in every situation. He's like, be like Jesus. Be able to just be there even when everything's going you know, down. You're not losing sight of yourself. And the Bible says the disciples wake him. When I get to heaven, I want to know which disciple. Because can you imagine that conversation? They're all at the back of the boat, and they're like, he's just sleeping. Who's going to go wake him? You know, and John's like, I'm not doing it, you know? Judas is like, I'll go do it. Let me check his bag first. You know what I mean? Like, like the disciples are, who's going who's gonna to go wake him? We pick it up. It says he was asleep on the cushion. They woke him and they said to him, teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Notice they didn't ask for help. They didn't say, we believe you're God. They didn't, you know, ask like, could you help us with this? The first thing they thought was, you don't care which hear me today, a lot of stuff you see online is coming from that same place. No one cares. Do you even care? And I'm like, does he even care? He's in the storm with you. He's just sure who he is. See, when you're committed to be present in people's lives, you don't always need to have an answer. 
Your actions of just being present have validated your words anyways. So he wakes up. The Bible says this, the next verse says, Jesus awakes, he rebukes the wind, and he says to the sea, peace be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. I don't want you to lose sight of the principle. Comments will demand your response. These disciples were very urgent in their request from Jesus. They were like, don't you care? Don't you care? Jesus was chilling. And I like to say it like this. Their urgency does not have to be your emergency. It rhymes so you can remember it. Their urgency doesn't have to be my emergency. You know, you all have that one friend that just there's always something going wrong. Just every week there's something going on. And and it's not that you want to not be committed, but sometimes we get so engaged in the problems of others that their problems become our problems and all of a sudden we're just a stress. Let me encourage you today. When you see stuff on social media, everything that's urgent doesn't have to be for you. It's a healthy place to find out when and when not to say something. You know, the wisest people are the ones that don't just talk the most. They're the ones that know when not to talk as well. This is the biblical principle of discretion. Did you know the book of Proverbs talk about discretion over 22 times? The book of Proverbs says that discretion, just in case you know, discretion is the quality of behaving or speaking in such a way as to avoid causing offense or revealing private information. So when you have discretion, you know when not to say something just as much as when you know to say something. Is this making sense? Okay. Can't tell who's just deep in thought and who's lost here. So I just want to make sure you're still with me. Jesus knew exactly when to say something and when not to say something. So much that sometimes he would see something and he wouldn't make a statement. He would ask a question. That's the best thing we can do sometimes. We see something crazy online. Instead of just assuming that about them, we should ask them a question. Are you okay? What's going on in your life? What does this actually mean? You know, people want to make comments about gospel church. I always just follow up and say, okay, what are you actually saying? Just want to make sure I understand it clearly. So in the scriptures, Jesus asked 307 questions in the New Testament. 307 times he asked a question. In comparison, he was asked questions 183 times. And here's the best part. How many questions do you think he answered? The Bible tells us Jesus only directly answers three of those 183 questions. That's wisdom. That's discretion. That's, I mean, he's before Pilate being falsely accused, and Pilate's like, are you the king of the Jews? And he's like, if you say so. He's like, at this point, I'm on trial. My father, like, of course, I'm the, I don't need to answer this. He knew when to say something and when not to say something. And that, to me, is a beautiful thing. My favorite proverb on uh, discretion is chapter 17. Proverbs 17 says it like this. Even a fool who keeps silent is considered wise. When he closes his lips, he is deemed intelligent. Your words, they don't carry as much as our actions and our posture do. Okay, I, I believe that gospel church is called to be a place of grace and truth. We're called to be a place that stands on the truth of God, but shows grace to people that want to know God. And here's the problem in most societies today. We're all truth and no grace. And so we're just like, people don't even feel love to come close enough to us. Or we're all grace and no truth. And there's no standard to live by. There's no objective moral values anymore. And all of a sudden we're wishy-washy. I believe this place is called to be both and grace and truth. 
and that we should be people that carry ourselves in a healthy posture, not just an angry poise ready to make an argument. I got the opportunity to go to South Africa about eight years ago with my pastor. And, uh, you know, he invited me to go with him. He was speaking at this conference. And so we flew to London and then from London down to Johannesburg. We go to the conference three days and he says, hey, we're going to go on a safari. And I'm like, a safari? I'm thinking it's going to be like, you know, the wild thornberries or something. You know what I mean? Just something out there in safari world. And Nickelodeon reference, you got me. Um, and uh, we ended up going with these guys, these, you know, four African guys, they're locals there. And we were staying in a place that they said, don't leave the complex until someone picks you up. And so we're staying in this complex. These guys come to pick us up and they came and got us like in this little like bus taxi. There was four of them and three, you know, three of us that got picked up and, and we start driving towards the safari. And I'm thinking like, okay, we're going to get out and get like in a Jeep. And he starts driving through these gates and he goes, okay, there's lions all around us. And I'm like, wait, wait a minute. We're not going to like do some cute, like, you know, picture time safari thing or something. He's like, oh no, this is the car we'll be in. And so we're driving and we're going around and eventually we sit, we see some animals way in the distance. We're taking pictures. We're like touristy, like, wow, look at those things. Right behind us is this massive lion. And I turn around and this lion is just sitting there and he's just staring. And I was blown away to be able to be up close and personal as far as the first row is from me right now. Like he's just sitting there and I'm inside looking through the window. I'm like, this is crazy. Never said anything. Just, just the way he was carrying himself made me in awe. And I feel like sometimes in social media, we think it's the, the loudness of our roar that gets attention, not the posture of how we carry ourselves. Your posture is louder than your roar. So yeah, I get it. Go to Facebook, blast it, put it out there. That's a roar. Sometimes not saying something shows who you actually are versus what you're putting out there. <laughs> Listen, we're going to do two more weeks of this and we're done. Okay, someone just needs to say this. We can't get caught up in the words. We got to carry ourselves the right way. Comments will try to demand your response. Secondly, comments are different from meaningful debate. A lot of times people aren't making a comment on your life because they want to have a conversation. They're just saying what they want to say and moving on. And I believe there is such a thing as having a critical conversation with somebody in today's world. You know, this is, no one likes to talk about politics. No one likes to talk about tough topics. They're like, don't talk about that. And I'm like, why? Because it's not important or because you don't know how to have a normal conversation about it? Because I know these issues are important. You're going to talk about them the other six days of the week anyways. <laughs> Why wouldn't we just try to have a meaningful conversation about things? The scripture says in 1 Peter chapter 3, but in your hearts, honor Christ, the Lord as holy. And watch this, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. So always be ready to debate is what Peter says. But look what he says, but do it with gentleness and respect. So some Christians read that first part and they're ready to go to war about an issue, not knowing we're supposed to do it with gentleness and respect. And so I, I love having a conversation with atheists. You know, this past week I met with a, a guy who's an atheist and, and we met at a children's playground. You know, I had my daughter, I was watching her that day. I'm like, come meet me at the playground. And for about an hour she was playing while him and I were debating the existence of God. And I'm like, this is pretty cool. Like you're an atheist, I'm a Christian, we're at a playground. This just feels like, I don't know, this just feels good. And, and he started saying stuff about how the world, you know, how Christians are delusional because we think that a God created the world. And I'm like, well, how would you say the world came to be? And he said, you know, the Big Bang. And I was like, I have no problem with the Big Bang because there's, you know, God's the one that pulled the trigger. Like, I'm with it. 
Someone still, someone still had to put it. You know what I mean? And he's like, no, I just, that, that just happened. And I said, okay, I believe God created everything. You believe nothing created everything. What's more plausible to believe? And he says, well, I'm not saying nothing created everything. And I'm like, wait a minute. If we're going to have a debate and I give a cause for how the world came to be, if it's a meaningful debate, you too have to give a cause for how it came to be. It can't just be like, oh, Christians are the crazy ones. It's like, well, what's your view? And in today's world, we have to get back to meaningful conversations. You know, don't text about something that might get misread. You ever see somebody text and you put a tone to their voice while they're texting it, and you don't even know if they were actually had that tone? But you text them, you're like, hey, I just wanted to check in with you. How are you? And then their tone is like, fine. And your tone's always the best when you're sending texts, but their tone's always the worst. Like, come on, we got to fix that. How about just have face-to-face conversations? How about pick up the phone and actually hear each other? Because comments will get us to think that we're in the wrong place or we're doing the wrong thing. No, we can have meaningful conversations, especially in today's world. I like to say it like this. Disagreements in our world don't have to be declarations of war. That if we're going to have a conversation, I can respect your position, you can respect mine, and we can still exist in this world together. Most people assume, you disagree with me, I hate you. And we've such identified with our beliefs that we forget we're actual people. Disagreements don't have to be declarations of war because there is such thing as emotional, angry disagreements. And sometimes people are so caught up in what they're going through that they're speaking from a place of pain. I get asked every week tough questions about life, existence of God, science, all that kind of stuff. Sometimes someone will come to me with physical pains. They'll say, you know, why isn't God doing this? And, and the first thing I always ask, like, hey, is this a pastoral conversation or is this like a philosophical question? Because if you're in pain today and you're questioning, does God care? And you're questioning why haven't, if he's a supernatural healer, how come he hasn't healed me? You might need a pastor more than you need a philosopher. Does this make sense? You know, if you want to know why is marriage between a man and a woman, but you yourself are struggling with your sexuality, you might need a pastor to hear from you, hear your story to hear how you came to this place rather than just telling you you're wrong, okay? Sometimes we can't just give answers. We have to listen and hear stories, okay? This is an important thing. So I, I'll ask people, is this a philosophical thing? Is this a, a, you know, a pastoral thing? And a lot of times it's philosophical and they get mad because I give these answers and I'm like, yeah. Well, if God is good, why is there suffering? And my answer to that is, when did God ever say there wouldn't be suffering? Whose fault is that? You know what I mean? Like, and sometimes people don't like these answers. And I like to do what Desmond Tutu says. He says, don't raise your voice, improve your argument. So if you're a Christian and you have certain beliefs, get in the word, find out where you get those beliefs. And when you're in a meaningful thing on Facebook, you'll know, I don't need to say this right now. I'm not having a debate. I'm not going to blast this comment just saying your theology's off. That's not the time and place. If I care about that person, I'll call them. If I care about that person, I'll take them to lunch. You know, I love when people be like, I want to give you a prophetic word. And I'm like, bro, we haven't even gone to lunch. <laughs> like, don't try to like lead people that you don't know. I want to correct you on your marriage. I was like, you never even met my wife. You know what I mean? Like, what's up? Like, so we have to be people that understand meaningful debate versus what's just a comment. Number three, got to hurry here as I close. Comments can distract me from my true purpose. I was uh, on my TikTok the other day and, and just scrolling and a video came up and I watched the video for about 10 seconds and then I jumped into the comments 
and I started reading the comments. And after reading the comments for like, you know, two minutes, I'm like, what is this video about again? Because I lost sight of what I was even focused on because of what people were saying about it. That hits home. God's inviting you to a life that's not filled with stress and anguish and performance. He's inviting you to come to the realization of who you are in him. And when you fully know who you are in him, you don't feel this need to listen to what everyone else thinks. You don't get caught thinking, you know, I got to please them. Let me show you what Paul told Timothy. 2 Timothy 4, verse 2. Preach the word of God. Be prepared whether the time is favorable or not. I love that. Preach the word, whether people are with you or not. Preach the word, whether the seats are full or not. Preach the word, whether people get saved and get set free or they stay bound and in the same place. Preach the word. You know, you know. Oh, I, I don't like to preach the word because when I do, no one likes me. If you got into ministry for people to like you, you're in the wrong field, my friend. Preach the word. Stand on the word. Well, what's your thoughts about gender ideology? I stand on the word. Well, what's your thoughts about the next election? I stand on the word. Well, what's your thoughts about the nuclear family? I stand on the word. Whether people like it or not, it's the word. And the word is not favorable to our flesh. The word is not like going to help you become successful in your business if you use it just to get that end. Politicians are going to get up soon and they're going to start telling us all their policies and they're going to start, you know, throwing God's name out there and they're going to start saying, yeah, yeah, Christian, yeah, I'm a Christian. And it's like their faith is a means to an end. Can we be people that unapologetically say, I believe the word? You know what's cool about the word? It doesn't change. You know what's tough about the world? It always changes. One year we're mad at this group. The next year we're like, oh, never mind about that group. We're mad at this group. And I'm like, wait a minute. I don't know what to do. Paul says, preach the word, whether the time is favorable or not. Patiently correct, rebuke, and encourage people with good teaching. For a time is coming when people will no longer listen to sound and wholesome teaching. They're going to follow their own desires, and they will look for teachers who will tell them whatever their itching ears want to hear. They'll reject the truth, and they'll chase after myths. But you should keep a clear mind in every situation. Don't get caught up in their comments. Don't be afraid of the suffering of the Lord. Work telling others the good news. Watch this. And fully carry out the ministry God has given you. To fully carry something out means to fulfill it. Okay, so when we fully listen to God, we feel fulfilled. A lot of times, we're not fulfilled because we're partially partially following Jesus. I was talking to a guy in the first service. He says, you know, God hasn't spoken to me in three months. I feel like at one point he was speaking clearly and I was listening and he goes, he just hasn't spoke. Why is that? And I asked him, I said, well, have you done the last thing he told you to do? And he's like, well, what do you mean? I was like, three months ago, you said he spoke to you. Did he tell you something? A lot of times we're saying, how come God's not speaking? And it's like, because we haven't done the first thing he said to end the relationship or to reconcile the relationship, to start the business or to end the business. Like whatever it is he's speaking, sometimes he withdraws more words until you listen to the first words. It doesn't mean he's not present. He's just sitting there going, okay, are are they gonna do it? Are they gonna listen? Comments will distract you from your purpose. You won't fully hear them. 
So we're going to be people that are fully engaged with what he says. Because the comments that were made about you, God didn't read those. And what people said about your life and your mistakes and the way you treated people and the things you've messed up in, God easily could have went to the comment section of your life and believed those things. But instead, he says, I have a better word about you. Well, no one's for you. God says, if I be for you, no one can be against you. Okay, well, I don't know if I'm going to make it. God says, I will supply all your needs according to my riches and glory. Okay, I don't know how I'm going to get past this. God says, if you speak to the mountain and tell it to be moved into the sea, it will be moved. So we can't get distracted because God wasn't distracted with us. Comments will distract us. And lastly, number three, comments can dominate our identity. So comments will try to demand a response. They're different from debate. They'll distract you. And lastly, number four, they will dominate your identity if you let them. Meaning you will make decisions based on the words that have been spoken by people. And they, they weren't there when you were really going through it, but all of a sudden their words have the most weight in your life. Not everything you see needs your response and not everything that's said to you needs to be concrete evidence that you're a bad person. Sometimes even our own family say things about us and we believe it. I'm not talking about, you know, not owning your mistakes. You should. I'm talking about letting your mistakes haunt you long after you've already asked for forgiveness. I feel the anointing this morning. Comments will try to dominate our identity. I want to draw your attention to a man named Rehoboam. And Rehoboam was a young king. This story you can find it in 1 Kings 12. Rehoboam had a dad who was faithful in leading the people and the dad passed and all the counsel that used to meet with the dad started trying to counsel the son. And I want to show you what the Bible says. It says, then King Rehoboam took counsel with the old men who stood before Solomon, his father, was yet still alive. And they said, how do you, and, and, he, and he said, how do you advise me to answer this people? So Rehoboam asked his dad's old, uh, uh, you know, cabinet, if you will, of leaders. And he says, how should I deal with what I'm currently dealing with? continues, they said to him, if you be a good servant to this people today and serve them and speak good words to them, when you answer them, they will be your servants. Rehoboam, if you want to have influence with people, you've got to watch the way you talk to them. You've got to watch the way you perceive them, but do this. Verse eight says, but he abandoned the counsel that the old man gave him and took counsel with the young men who had grown up with him. Eventually, the decision Rehoboam leads leads to a detrimental effect on the kingdom because he didn't listen to the counsel of old. He listened to the people that were nearest to him, his friends. Be careful, man. Those comments will distract us, but eventually they'll dominate you. And you'll start living from the wrong word. Today, as followers of Jesus, we live under that word that he spoke over us. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son And whoever believes in him will have eternal life. We're not talking about temporary comments on your social media feed. We're talking about eternity with God. That's the word that dominates my life, eternity with God. Many of us will live for now, but as Christians, we're living for later. We're living for that day when there will be no debate and disagreement 
We're living for that day when there will be no sickness, no tears will fall from an eye. We're living for that day when the consistency of life we crave is finally attained and we stand face to face before Jesus. That's why we preach. That's why we have church. God didn't give up on you. May we be people who don't give up on others.